Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca. Today's scripture comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. You may be seated. And as you're seated, let's pray together. So, Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you that if truly believed and truly lived into, uh, that it is life to us. So, Lord, we need your life. We need your spirit to work in our hearts. And so we come empty-handed and eager this morning. Would you fill us? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Jake. I'm part of the team. It's good to be back with you in September, in the fall, as everything uh, ramps up. Each September, we begin not just by jumping into the book of the Bible that we're going to spend the next few months in, uh, but by pausing and orientating ourselves correctly before the, the flood that is the fall rushes us away. In two weeks' time, we're going to begin our series in the book of Jonah, and I'm very, very, very excited about, about that. But for this week and next, then for three weeks later in the fall, after we've finished Jonah, we'll be in this series we're calling Counterformation. Counterformation. And here's the big idea of this brief five-week series. Ready? There are forces at work in this world, both inside of us, and outside of us that seek to actively deform us and misshape us, that seek to make us into something we are not, forces that seek to shape us into something less, someone less than who we truly are. Now, what I'm talking about and what we'll be talking about over these next few weeks is not unlike the phenomenon we observe uh, in the cinematic classic of the Born Identity. Maybe you know it. It's one of my favorite films. Wherein Jason Bourne wakes 
to discover he does not know who he is. He does not know his name. He does not know how he got there. And he does not know yet, he soon will, what he's capable of. The same is true for the Christian. When the New Testament encourages followers of Jesus to love and live differently, it does not say, become who Jesus wants you to be. It does not say that. It says, instead, become who Jesus has made you to be. Become who Jesus has won you to be. And so we're going to name names. Over the next five weeks, we're going to name names. We're going to name the lies and name the identities that have so misshaped us, so deformed us that we've forgotten who we are. But that begins next week. We will never have the courage to tear down our false identities if we don't see the truer and better reality, the better identities that Christ has won for us. And so this morning, we're laying the foundation, if you will, putting the big rocks in the jar. We we could call these truths the fundamentals. Ready? Here's three things we're going to see this morning. This year, Christ City... I want you to know these three things. Pastorally, as elders, this is what we want you to know. Ready? First, know the day. Know the day. Second, know who we are. And then third, know our role. Know the day, know who we are, know our role. Are you with me? Yeah, kind of, some of you. If you have your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians 5, open it up to there, and we're going to be in Paul's epistle to this church in Thessalonica. First point is know the day. Let's read verses 1 to 3 together. Bible's open. Follow with me. If you don't have a Bible, it's fine. It'll be up on the screen behind me. This is what the word of the Lord says. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. We'll stop there. The the church in, in Thessalonica, if you don't know, was a church under pressure, like immense pressure. As one of the centers for the uh, imperial cult, which is the worship and deification of the emperor, Thessalonica was filled with statues to the emperor of the day, filled with people committed to worshiping, for their own personal gain, of course, the reigning ruler. See, Caesar was not just the top political figure of the day. He was also the top religious leader. It was president and high priest rolled into one, and Thessalonica was one of the centers for this imperial cult. What's more, on a clear day in Thessalonica, you could see Mount Olympus across the Aegean, the literal home of these supposed gods that people worshipped, where they would go to make their sacrifices. It's no surprise then that in such a context that Christians in Thessalonica claiming Jesus as Lord and not Caesar, that Christians in Thessalonica abandoning idols that fueled their local economy would come under persecution and come under pressure. And when these things come, When difficulty arises, what's your first thought? If we're being honest, it's not stoic resolution. It's not, I can do this, I'm tough enough. But when persecution and pressure come, I think, is it worth it? What are we enduring this for? 
And so the Thessalonians are asking the question. Here it is. Ready? Paul, if we're going to persist, we're going to need some details about Jesus' return. Some specifics. Is it soon? Is it imminent? Can it be soon? Can it be, please, imminent? And Paul's reply, in essence, is that Jesus' return will be sudden. And he invokes two different pictures to help us understand. First, he says this. Jesus is coming back like a burglar. Like a burglar. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Like a thief in the night. Comparing Jesus' return after his resurrection and ascension, comparing his return to a thief coming in the night is actually a common uh, picture we find in the New Testament. Jesus uses this picture. Uh, Paul here is using this picture. Peter uses this picture. Jesus coming like a thief in the night. And with it, with this picture, Jesus, Paul, and Peter are all driving at one point. One thing they want you to hear and understand and receive. It's this. Ready? At any moment, be ready. At any moment, be prepared. Because Jesus is coming back like a thief in the night. And John Stott wrote this, and I think it's funny. Maybe you do. The trouble with burglars is that they do not tell us when they are coming. They make no announcement of their arrival. It is not in their habit to send a warning postcard. Christ said, know the day. Know the day. Do, Do you know what day it is? We live our lives. This whole thing, this whole brief existence happens on the day before the day of the Lord. All of this. Which not only refers to Jesus' return, which is glorious and good for his church, but also here in 1 Thessalonians refers to Jesus' return to judge. To judge. And those who are in him will be gathered to him. And those who never knew him will be cast from his presence forever. Christ city, do you know the day? I wonder if we forget this. It was popular to talk about the coming of the Lord for generations before mine, but since we, we, we've considered ourselves too fashionable, too, too progressive to, to now consider Christ's return. But in doing so, we've lost really the gospel, that Jesus is coming to restore and renew all things at a moment we cannot tell, on a day we do not expect. And far from being an unpractical, unpractical or unfashionable Christian teaching, if we really believe this, this teaching has wild implications for our lives. Let me just draw out one. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, while Jesus comes like a thief, he does not come as a thief. He comes like a thief, but not as a thief. Jesus comes instead to give us something more than the fleeting treasures and things of this life. 
He comes that we might, as Paul says later in our passage, verse 10, Jesus died, Jesus came, Jesus lived, he died, he rose, that we, whether we are awake or asleep, whether we're living or dead, we might live with him. Jesus comes that you might live with him today. Notice what Paul says. He says, whether you're awake or asleep, being with Jesus, being embraced in his presence, yes, there's something unique about that presence after we die and are fully with him. But Paul says, whether we are living right now or dead, we can be with Jesus. Do you know Jesus like this? Do you live with Jesus? He comes like a thief, but not as a thief. He comes to give life, and life eternal now. The wise investor knows the day, knows that he can't, knows that she can't take their stuff with them. Paul says, on the day of the Lord, and this is so cheeky of Paul to say it like this, on the day of the Lord, people will be talking about peace and security. Do you know where he got that from? Like peace and security? He's not just like haphazardly chewing, like choosing like two topics that people are talking about. No, no, the motto of Rome was what? Any Roman historians in the room? Pax a securitas. Peace and security. And Paul's saying peace and security will be on the Romans' lips. Peace and security will be on our lips. Peace and security will be on the lips of every so-called prospering empire who thinks they have it together, who thinks they've got it figured out. Peace and security in this life, in this age, and then Jesus will return. And it will be exposed as nothing. That their foundation will, will crumble. Their foundation will be exposed as sand, as Jesus says in that very same sermon. Christ what will you invest in this year? What will you invest in? What will you spend on? What will you be spent for? If the first metaphor for Christ's return comes to us as a challenge, and really it is a challenge, the second metaphor, the second picture he gives us is a tremendous comfort. Paul says in verse 3, while people are saying there is peace and security, Again, shot at Rome, shot at all of our empires. Then he says this, Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. See, Christ's return will be sudden and unexpected, but Christ's return will be also sudden and unavoidable. Just as the pangs of labor inevitably in a, in a typical delivery lead to one unavoidable outcome, the birth of a child, right? So too will Jesus' return and judgment lead to our promised deliverance and the accompanying joy that comes with that. So, so here's the comfort. Do you feel the pressure this morning? Do you feel the pressure? P pressure to pay homage to, to Caesar, to, just to get him off your back, to just tow the company line, to just toe the cultural line, just to make your life a little more bearable. To, to hide your faith, not just, but just a little bit. Not all the way. Or someone asks, I'm going to really push this. I'll tell them I'm a Christian, but I'm going to hide those disagreeable bits over here. Do you feel that pressure this morning? I do. Don't give in. 
resist. Because Paul says elsewhere in Romans 8, the birthing pangs have started. They've started. Romans 8, 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but who else? The church. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. These birthing pains that we feel, that I feel, that you feel now, are the guarantee that all this pressure and pain will give way to inexplicable joy. Jesus' return to renew all things is sudden and unavoidable. It is the fixed point to which all history moves. Even now, hope fuels holiness. This hope then needs to fuel our holiness. This hope then gives us a reason to commit ourselves to the work of counterformation, inspires us to become who we already are. This is our second point. Here's what I want us to see next. Second point. Know who we are. What do we want you to know this year? Know the day, but know who we are. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 4, all the way to verse 10. Read that with me. Just look. But you, you church, you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, since that's not who we are, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Paul here speaks of two different kinds of people. He says the whole world can be divided into two kinds of people. Over here, speaking to the church, he says, you are children of light, children of the day. And then in contrast, over here, he says, the pagan culture of the day, all those who don't trust in Christ are of the night or of the darkness. And the irony this morning that I need us to see is that I think those two groups often get their identities backwards, get their identities reversed. Here's what I mean. Isn't it true that the dogma, the teaching of modern man, is that all those who adopt their particular agenda are in the light, in the know, or as we say now, on the right side of history. Modern dogma is once blinded by the shackles of guilt and organized religion and traditional forms of authority. We've now thrown them off. Now we drink deeply of the supposed fresh air that is our complete, that is our complete and full autonomy. And yet Paul speaks of those who've rejected Christ as, did you see it, literally in the dark, in the night, sleeping and drunk. Not sober or awake to reality itself. They're confused. 
And to be clear, in fairness, so too are most Christians. So too are most Christians. It's not just those outside of Christ who get their identities reversed. So do you and I all the time. Here's what I experience and see pastorally. Coming to Jesus, and if you're a Christian, you know this, coming to Jesus means reckoning with a certain degree of darkness. Darkness both in you, darkness in the world. It means tearing back that veil and seeing perhaps for the first time like tremendous darkness, what the Bible calls sin. And while we give lip service, Christians, to Jesus and his work, it's this newfound depravity, this newfound sin, which now sits at our center as our greatest identity marker. And that's not for no good reason, right? This side of the day of the Lord, we continue to sin. We continue to mess up, right? I see it very clearly. But what is so important in our passage this morning in fact, if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. What is so important in our passage this morning is that Paul does not once speak in the future tense when talking about who we are in our passage today. He always speaks in, in the indicative mood. That is, he speaks about what's presently true about us. He says, you are right now not in the darkness. He says, you are Christian, right now, children of the light, children of the day. Well, how did this happen? Again, he doesn't go to the future tense. He goes to the past tense. He says, listen, because Christ has died for you so that whether you're alive or dead, right now, you can be his until he returns. All of this means this. Here's the point. The, the Christian's fundamental identity is saint, not sinner. Your fundamental identity, if you've trusted in Jesus, is as a saint, not a sinner. As a child of the light, not a child of the dark. And Paul will phrase it even more strikingly in 2 Corinthians 5, when he compares our new identity created through the work of Christ, when he compares it to the, to the very creation of the world. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul famously says this, Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is literally just new creation. He is new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So hear it. As sure as mountains as mountains and rivers are rivers and lions are lions, you, if you are in Christ, are a new creation, full stop. That's it. That's true. And, and so listen to how one theologian put it. Richard Gaffin, he said this, and it's really good. He says, at the core of their being, in the deepest recesses of what they are, in other words, in the inner self, believers will never be more resurrected than they already are. Do you hear that? God has done a work in each believer a work of nothing less than resurrection proportions that will not be undone. Such language, Gaffin says, is not just metaphorical. But I'll tell you, I read this quote this week and I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. I'm still struggling to believe it. Why? 
Because as another author wrote, Paul Miller, seeing sin comes easily, so, so easily. But seeing saints takes work. It doesn't matter if you're going to be baptized later today or have been walking with Jesus for 40 years. It doesn't matter if your prayer life is faltering or non-existent or if you spend every waking hour just communing with the Lord. It doesn't matter if you've done nothing with your faith or laid down your whole life in response to the work of Christ. There is no caveat, there is no asterisk on Paul's insistence that you are a new creation. There are no varying levels, varying degrees of sainthood. Now, are some of us living more into our true identity than others? Absolutely. Does obedience come with blessing and disobedience with loving discipline? Absolutely. But just as your child can never stop being your child, so too have you, if you're in Christ, been irrevocably proclaimed a saint. And when we, church, wake up to this truth and live into this truth, everything changes. Everything changes. Well, like what, Jake? How about this? When we wake up to this truth, we stop rolling over in our fight against sin because, well, it's impossible for me to stop, is a phrase that doesn't belong on the lips of someone who has the Holy Spirit living inside them. When we wake up to this reality, we start becoming intentional with our time, with our lives. Where does a saint go for comfort? Where does a saint go for rest? And surely it's not in the waterless springs of our culture and empty entertainment. Parents, we speak to our kids about things like purpose. And as Paul does in our text this morning, destiny. That Christ has won you for a purpose and for a reason. Singles, we stop seeing the season as a waiting room and instead ask God what he has for you, a saint, right now. Saints pray. Saints pray. Believing their prayers actually do something, actually are heard, actually are powerful because nothing now separates them from the one who does it all. Saints pray. To the saint, prayer is like breathing And we'll be honest. I'll be honest for a moment. We're not very good at it. Our hope as a community of saints, as a church, is to be a praying church. That means praying together and praying apart. Learning to be a saint, learning that we are a saint, for many of us begins with learning to pray. And so Heath has mentioned it, but let me say it again. Every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m., we gather at our offices over on Pandora Street to pray. For a saint, prayer is breathing. And every fourth week, we stop what we're doing to pray. And we're going throughout our day, we pray. Why? Because we can't hold our breath that long. Because I can't hold my breath that long. Do you know who you are? Do you know who Christ has made you to be? I'm convinced this year that for many of you, knowing who you are in Christ, knowing who Christ has made you right now to be, it's going to change your life. You belong to the day. You are a saint. 
My prayer for us this year is that we as a church would grasp the simple truth more and more. Last point. Know the day. Know who you are. Finally, know our role. We need to know our role. Verses 9 to 11. Look there with me. Let's read this. It's how our passage ends. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we awake or sleep, we might live with him. And look at verse 11. It begins with, Therefore, in view of your identity, in view of the day that we're on, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The Apostle Paul says, you are appointed, established to obtain salvation. Jesus lives with you right now. And then he says, therefore, and exhorts the Thessalonians, exhorts us to continue to encourage one another and build one another up. He's basically saying, if you're a saint, you've got something to give. Now, if you're not a saint, if you don't know Jesus, we're so glad you're here this morning. But this message is for saints. If you're a saint, you've got something to give. You've got a role to play when the church is under persecution and pressure. This word here, encouragement, that we find in the original language has nothing to do with like an attaboy or like a keep on going, you can do it. This word encouragement here like evokes a, a commander of, of a chariot rider that a chariot rider would give to his A command, here it is, a chariot rider would give to his horse. Like an order a general would pronounce over an army. Like it's, it's deep encouragement. Like let's take the hill encouragement. And what is it that will rouse our spirits on this day before the day? What is that word that we need in this world, the persecution and pressure? Well, just before our text this morning, in 1 Thessalonians 4, we find out. Paul describes what the coming of the Lord will be. Like he said, a trumpet will sound. There will be a voice like an archangel or of an archangel. We will greet the Lord in the air before he comes and renews and restores all things. And then he says, verse 18, chapter 4, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Well, what word is that? It's the word of Christ's return. It's the word of Christ's return. More broadly, it's the word of the gospel. Knowing the day and knowing who we are, what is our role right now? It is to speak and show the gospel of what Jesus has done and will do to one another. Can I ask you something, church? Just, just can I ask you a favor? This year, can you commit yourself not to small talk with each other, but to speaking the gospel to each other? There's nothing wrong with small talk. Sometimes we need it. And I'm a bit socially awkward, and so I especially need it sometimes. But can we move beyond it? Can we get to the gospel? Can we apply the life and death and resurrection and soon return of Jesus' life to each other's lives? Because if we don't do that, Paul says, how can we persist in an age of persecution and pressure? Like, I don't know about you, but from our Sunday mornings and from my community group time, I don't need just more friends. It's not just because I'm an introvert. 
I need people to speak the gospel to me. To say, here's your sin, Jake, and it's ugly. I'm like, yeah, I know. Thank you. But also, here's Jesus, Jake. And he's so good. And here's what he's done. And here's what he's doing. And here's what he will do. Can we, church, speak words to each other that foster faith, love, and hope? This armor that Paul encourages to put on in our passage today. And so here's my plea. The first plea is this. If you don't know Jesus, trust in Jesus. This church does not exist for itself. We are not here to build our brands. We are not here to compete with other religious entities. We are not here to do anything other than point to Jesus. So trust in Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to show you what it means to follow him. That's my first plea. My second plea is really simply this. Join a community group this year. Join a community group this year. And join it, not just to be with other people, though that's good, but join it to be vulnerable with other people that they might speak the truth of the gospel into the very core of who you are. Into those deep, ugly bits that you don't want anybody to see. But when the gospel grabs hold of them, we find healing and grace and mercy and joy in an abundance, in an abundance that Jesus has for us. It's in a community group where we call out the true identity of the other, reminding each other of our position before Christ, whether we feel it or not. It's in a community group that we can be this weak and utterly vulnerable people. Why? Because Though that sin and that shame and that failing, though it looms so large, none of those things are actually the truest thing about us. None of those things are our identity. We can share and be vulnerable literally from a place of eternal security. So here's how we're going to end. We're going to end today in a moment. This is my favorite Sunday of the year. We're going to end in a moment by watching a video Featuring the testimony of people who, who live with Christ. People who are entering the waters of baptism today in obedience to Christ. And I'm going to cry personally. You can do whatever you want. But we're going to celebrate and cheer and marvel at the work of God in our day, in our midst. And I just want to remind you that as you watch these five people share their stories, that we're watching saints People who have been made children of the day because of the work of Christ. Saints who haven't just been forgiven, but saints who have had their whole lives um, reprioritized by Christ. Living now, not to themselves, but as those who belong to the day. Those who are eagerly taking up their role. So let's watch that. I'll be back up afterwards to lead us in response. Uh, my life before I came to Christ was very challenging and tough. My dad almost died, so after that event, I never really had very much faith. I felt that God was very far away. Even though I accepted Christ at a young age of four, I didn't really know Him then. Now, last year, at the age of 12, God rekindled my faith, and through my parents' and my grandparents' encouragement, I have been growing steadily and slowly in my faith. After I committed my life to Christ, I feel different now. I've never felt anything like it. I trust in God. I feel God's presence around me. 
I feel God trying to make me more like Him, and I am trying to model myself more like Christ. I want to be baptized to confess my faith in the Lord and be His example of His steadfast and unfailing love. So I grew up a Buddhist, and my family is a very devout Buddhist family. And、um, I've been to many、uh, temples to worship, but I didn't feel connected and feel very empty. And、uh, in Buddhism, we have to like have compassion for the people first. And I didn't really have it, so I always feel like I'm not deserving to be loved. So my life before Jesus was very empty and always seeking for validation from other people's. And I didn't feel like connected to anyone, despite my mom like trying very hard to provide for me and love me. I decided to study abroad in Canada, and、um, I came here expected to be very happy, but I got very depressed and very homesick. And during this time, I met a wonderful friend, and I got to stay with her family. And、uh, they are Christian, and they、um, talk to me a lot about Jesus and God. And uh, she uh, invited me to a Bible study last year, and、um, here I got to learn about Jesus for the first time. And when I、uh, got to know Him, everything in my life changed. After I let Jesus into my life, I I felt very loved. I stopped complaining about my life and stopped having、uh, seeking、uh, validation from other people. And because Jesus、uh, showed me love and compassion first, so I know how they feel like, and I can pass them on to other people. I want to be baptized because I want to tell everyone that I belong to Jesus and He's my Lord and Savior forever. Christ has always been in my life.、Um, I grew up in a Christian household. Looking back on it now, I feel like my life was kind of empty.、Um, I feel like as if I knew Christ mostly on Sundays. I was very self-reliant. I thought that my、uh, my achievements, how well I did in school, like what sports I did,、um, how well I could play the violin, that's what would define me. Coming to Christ、um, has been a long journey through my whole life. I've had a lot of time to get to know Him.、Um, I feel as though I can see God through nature. I love the outdoors, and I can see Him in creation. I also study biology, so I see Christ in like studying the complex、um, systems how that He created us. I also have come to Christ through trials and tribulation. I feel as though when、uh, super hard situation that I can't control, I, I can only rely on Christ, and that's brought me closer to Him throughout the years. I feel as though lately、uh, coming to UBC,、um, I've I've grown close to a lot of、um, good friends, and I. It's helped me to to grow closer to God, and it's through all these experiences that、um, have allowed me to make a decision to fully commit my life to Christ. Life with Christ is kind of the opposite of what life before Christ was. I don't have to stress about needing to be the best at something or needing to do this sport to to have like value. I want to be baptized to say to the world that I can't rely on my own strength. Um, to live a fulfilling life、um, or to accomplish things, I need Christ in my life, and it's through His His love and His act on the cross that my sins are forgiven. I was born in a Christian household, so I always knew the Lord, but I never really got the chance to meet Him on a personal level. And I started guiding my life based on worldly wisdom. A life without God as my savior. I came to Christ by attending Christ City Youth, 
I just connected to the sermons there, and it just felt like God was speaking to me through those sermons, and I realized just how much of a mess that my life had become, and I just repented at night. After coming to Christ, I started to tear down the toxic lifestyle that I had developed, and I started building a new Christian one with Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to be baptized because I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life down to my final breath. Growing up as a Christian for most of my life, I had amassed a lot of head knowledge and theology about God and, and my faith. But if I were honest with myself, uh, I'm ashamed to say that for most of my Christian life, I have been a half-hearted Christian. God for me was more of a means to an end rather than an end in himself. He was somebody that you would just pray to uh, whenever you needed something or wanted something. I was obsessed about trying to be great on my own strength and, and, and trying to uh, achieve success by myself. The more that I started to adopt that mentality, the more that I started to lose trust in God and started to trust more and more in my own power, my own strength, my own wisdom and intellect. This eventually led me to 2019. During that year, I would say that was like the prime of my life. I was uh, dating this amazing girl that I thought I was going to marry. Uh, I was making more money than I could ever imagine. I was fit, I was healthy. In that same year, um, all these calamities started to happen. The relationship didn't work out. Um, I, I lost my job, lost my uh, investments. Um, I had lost everything. And I realized that I had rejected God and, and elevated myself, elevated all these things that I was chasing above Him. And so in my despair, in my heartbreak, in my pain and agony, I just cried out to God. I cried out to God in my afflictions, and God heard me. And, and I'm so thankful to be on this, this new journey. Uh, I, I'm not this super Christian all of a sudden. I still have struggles. This year's been tough. There's been a lot of ups and downs. I, I'm just so thankful that, that God has, above all else, just restored my relationship with Him. Given what God has done in my life over these last four years and, and transforming this prodigal son's heart um, to being a, a lover of God, I thought, you know, what better way than to display that inward reality than to be baptized this year. So I, I choose to be baptized for the first time as an expression of my faith and wholehearted commitment in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior over my whole life, over my whole heart, and over all that I possess. To Him be the glory and the honor, the power forever and ever. Amen.